This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. Okay, as Matthew McConaughey would say, all right, all right, all right. Has everyone listened to Matthew McConaughey's book? Have you guys seen it? It's called Green Lights. No? Ladies in the room, do you think he's a little bit of a sex symbol? Yeah. Yeah, see? All right, so if you're going to read the book, just get it on Audible and listen to it, because he is quite the storyteller. So it's pretty good, pretty good book. You learn in the book, I won't spoil it for you, where all right, all right, all right originated. And then you'll know, and then you'll say it every day, because it'll be in your brain. All right. He's running for governor of Texas? Oh, we don't. Well, he'll probably win. He will probably win. He will probably win. All right, so um, that is not the topic for the day. It was just on my mind, so good morning. Uh, for those of you who are new in the room, I'm Nikki Buckaloo. And let me point out our sponsors over here real quick. Jill, I'm pointing out our sponsors real quick. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. All right. Yeah, so we have our group with Spanish Cove. We have our group with Bradford Village. Melissa, give them a wave. We have our Arvest bunch over there. Curtis, give them a wave. Julie and Kelly over at Concordia. Marilyn at Villages OKC. And we have Shannon and Jake over there with Buffalo Realty Group and OKC Mature Moves. Can we give them a hand and appreciate them? You know, it's been weird, after, you know, with COVID, everyone has had to, what they're calling pivot, right? I call it punting. You know, we just punted. <laughs> Every play we had in our playbook, we all had to recreate, right? And uh, all across the, the city, communities and organizations were having to do things to try to adapt to COVID. And I have to tell you, I am so proud uh, of who we are aligned with in our sponsorships because not only did they really do a great job of handling the COVID crisis and the pandemic, um, but they also did a great job of still being a part of this truth series, which isn't easy to do, balancing it all, right, when you have other stuff on your plate. And so um, from me to you guys, I just want to appreciate you and thank you for being so committed to educating, right, and empowering people. So uh, I told the, I told everybody this morning, you know, one of the reasons this is free is because of our sponsors, right? And I also said that I may have to start charging because every time we do it, Chris goes and buys another piece of equipment so that we can do it online. <laughs> so just know that if we start passing the plate, it's because Chris has an Amazon addiction, all right? That's all that. Does anybody else have an Amazon addiction after COVID? Man, our doorstep just, it packages just keep coming. I don't know. All right. So, uh, topic for today. What are we going to be talking about? Does anybody know? Selling as is. All right, good. We're on the same page. So, well, good morning. <laughs> Stan, I'm calling you out. All right. So, you guys know that we've been talking about real estate and downsizing mostly this year, right? And senior options and so on. And one of the things that happens uh, anytime the market shifts, the real estate world changes too, right? So, you, you 
you've got to learn how to sell a house in whatever market you have in front of you. And right now we have in our midst a seller's market. You're probably hearing that, right? So how to sell a house in a seller's market and not just sell a house, but sell it as is. Because I'm just wondering, I want to do a poll before I bring Shannon and Chris up. How many of you in the room, if you're going to sell your house, whether it's in the near or distant future, would like to just sell it like it is and not do a darn thing to it? Raise your hand. Okay, good. All right. And how many of you um, want to sell your house and you're willing to do a few things to it if you need to? Raise your hand. Okay, great. And how many of you in the room want to make sure your house is completely perfect and pristine so that you get the maximum amount of money for it when you sell it? Raise your hand. <laughs> One or two. Okay, all right, great. So this is why we're talking about this, because you saw the number of hands that went up when I said completely as is, right? And I had somebody tell me today they wanted to know how to sell it as is, like not just as is, but completely as is. There's a difference, right? Okay, so they're going to be talking about that today. And so uh, you have in front of you a couple of pieces of paper today. One is your handout, and it's uh, got the Street Series logo on it, and it's dated today's date. And it asks, what is your selling expectation? And there are three options there. And they're basically the three I just listed when I asked you to raise your hands. So, and then the next section is, the things that you want to talk to your real estate professional about, uh, and there's a list of those things. So as we're going through today's talk, it might trigger in your mind things about your own home that you want to talk with someone about. So you just make a note to yourself there that I want to talk to my real estate pro about this particular issue. And then on the back of that same piece of paper, there uh, is a list of home selling steps, home selling steps. And since today's talk is not really about the home selling process, but you're going to hear Chris and Shannon talk about, you know, different parts of the process, I thought it might be helpful to have kind of an at-a-glance for you of when those things happen in the process, okay? Does that make sense? All right, so we're not going over that list today in detail or anything. It's just there for your reference, and so that way when you go home, you go, okay, well, when does that happen? Well, that's your, that's your little cheat sheet, okay? And then you have your evaluation, and I would very much like for everyone to fill out an evaluation today at the end of the talk. And there are a couple of places there that you can um, uh, jot down what it is you learned today. And what, it, it, what was the other question that I asked? A little bit different question. Uh, what action will you take or not take? I would be curious, after you hear today's talk, what your, if, if it changed your mind about something or if it validated something or if you learned something new that caused you to want to do something different. I would love to know that. So feel free to fill that out. Just kind of helps us to know, did we send the right message or did we get through what we were trying to accomplish today? Okay? All right, turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be a great day today. All right, turn back and tell them, because you're here. <laughs> because you're here. All right, come on up. Chris and Shannon. Uh, no, I do not. You can sit where, yeah, Chris probably should sit far enough that I can't swing. Yeah, all right, good deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, so let me get my clicker going here. So these are just a few of the things that we're going to kind of cover as we go. So 
homes be sold as is, how do inspections work, and then selling cash to investors will probably come up in the conversation somewhere. And then we're going to do some Q&A. Now, I've, I've, I, as I always do, I have some questions for these guys, which uh, aren't here in my hand for some reason. I'm just, this occurred to me, so I'm just going to start. And then, um, uh, and then I have a few slides, not very many, but uh, for those of you who are at home watching, we're going to put those slides up as we're talking about some of these things so that, um, so that if you don't have a handout in front of you, you can see them. Okay? All right. So, Shannon has been with us for how long? Three years? Almost three years. Mm -hmm. Almost three years. Is that loud enough? Well, so we just got talking to it. Yeah. Okay. It's almost like you got to be a rock star, Shannon. I'll wake up. Can you guys hear okay? I'll yeah. warm up. Okay, good deal. So Shan's been with us almost three years. She's been in real estate for about six, right? And uh, some of you guys have asked, you know, when you schedule appointments with our team, why I'm not coming out. And instead, Shannon may be coming out. It's because she's better at it than me. Let me just be honest with you. Um, there's a reason for that because when you're in the market every day, you get really good at certain things. And Shannon is tasked with pricing houses and uh, negotiating contracts. And she's gotten really good at that to the point where uh, I have to come back and ask her questions. So it's just better if she comes out. Well, and right now, quite honestly, the market's changing almost every week, right. sometimes every day. So if you're not in it every day, yeah. it changes. Right. So Shannon said, Nikki, why don't I leave the speaking up to you? And I said, great, I'm going to leave the, the listing and the sales side up to you. And we made an agreement. And we're still trying to figure out what the heck Chris does every day. We're not really sure. <laughs> as little as possible, it right. never works out that way. <laughs> yeah. His list is long. Yeah, his list is long. So, um, okay, so we're going to talk about what as-is means first, right? So we've got three types of as-is that I put up on the slide. So we've got cosmetically as-is, completely as-is, and then maximizing your equity, which isn't as is at all, okay? So uh, who wants to start with cosmetically as is? What does that mean? Shannon's the expert, so I'll let her Okay, talk. good. Good answer. We're not gonna answer that one, but okay. <laughs> cosmetically as is is traditionally most homes. Um, when, at, for inspection purposes, cosmetically as is means that you're not going to change the carpet. You're not going to change the paint um, you're not going to change the wallpaper or the gold fixtures that have been there since 1964. So those are the things that would be cosmetically as is um, when you're talking about um, that process. Okay, so can you sell a house like that? Absolutely. Okay, and if, if the buyer does a home inspection, are they generally going to ask for things like that to be repaired? You will sometimes have people ask for cosmetic items to be repaired, but that is not the intent of a home inspection. A home inspection intent and purpose is to look for things that are broke or are a safety issue. So the color of the wall being a bright pink <coughs> may not be aesthetically appealing, but it's not broke. Right. So that would not be something that should be addressed. Okay. If it is listed, you can always say no, that we're not going to address that because that is cosmetic. Okay, so hold, oh, go ahead. So back to paint specifically. Chipping and peeling paint on a house built before 1978 is looked at as a safety issue. So not all paint is the same. Right. Yeah, it depends on what the issue is with the paint. Yeah, so chipped and, chipped and peeling paint could be considered broken right. because it could be a safety hazard. 
but color and just longevity or a nail hole in the wall is not. Okay. That's cosmetic. Okay, perfect. So we're going to come back to inspections here in a second. So let's talk about completely as is. So if somebody says, guys, you know what, I want to sell my house completely as is. I really don't care what the buyer wants to do for inspections. I'm not doing anything. Can that happen? So if you've been to an auction, that is considered completely as is. They, they market it as, as is where it is, it's yours. So whatever condition it is, it's yours. Buyer beware in that aspect. And we can sell houses exactly like that. And we'll state that in the contract up front, that it's as is. Now our contracts that are written by the state of Oklahoma are as is subject to inspections. So it's as is, but the buyer still gotta be satisfied with the inspections. Now understand that a lot of times that as is mechanical everything comes at a price, meaning a lesser price for the seller, but it gets you out of anything that may or may not be there. So sometimes it's better to look at it and say, I want to sell my house as is. We have clients that say that all the time. They go, great, tell me about your house. Well, my HVAC is three years old. My roof's two years old. My hot water tank we just did three weeks ago. And I'm like, going, that's really not an as is house. You might as well do inspections and get the better price out of it because you've already done so much of the high expensive mechanicals to the house, you're in great shape already. So sometimes we just need to have a conversation to, to kind of clarify your expectation. And that's really all we're doing is clarifying expectations. So when you think about uh, maximizing equity then, let's talk about the third one, which is uh, those people who want to do everything they can do to a house to get the most equity for it possible, meaning the top price in the market in their neighborhood. Would that mean making repairs and cosmetic updates or some combination of that? What would that look like? So I'll, I'll start and I'll let you go next. It depends on where you're at, where you live. Some neighborhoods, there's not enough, what we call swing, meaning from the lowest comp to the highest comp, to do the updates. So you're gonna, in essence, spend more money getting the highest comp and you're gonna cost yourself return dollars in the back end of it. So we, we have to look at that and say, what's the value in your neighborhood? Does your neighborhood have a $50 per square foot swing from the low to the high? At that point, it may be worthwhile to make those changes. So that's the, the analysis fact that you've got to look at because we can make your house HDTV ready today over the next however months it takes to get done, but you may end up losing money because of what you had to spend to get that top dollar. Does that make sense? We're always looking at the return on your investment. So the other part of that is you may renovate a house and if you renovate the house to your specifications, it may not be the taste or the desire of who's looking for that house. So you may put $20,000 into a kitchen and that may, may not be what the buyer's looking for. Or you may pick the prettiest carpet with the best padding and the buyers are looking for hard flooring. So you put in $5,000 in new carpet when they would have preferred putting in um, hard flooring. So it's about preference as well. And so from what I understand in today's market, right, people are looking at colors and flooring and solid surface countertops, different things like that. They're trending, right? We've all talked about trending and how they trend. And so to maximize their equity,
if somebody just does countertops but everything else in their house is outdated, does that really do them any good? No. You'd be better off looking at the mechanics and what we call the bones of the house, the things that uh, Chris just spoke about, making sure the maintenance of your house, the hot water tank, the HVAC, all of those things are well maintained and taken care of long term. Um, and looking at those aspects and making sure the house is um, functioning properly, which traditionally most of our clients, that is what they've always focused on. Okay, so there the two questions. Can I can a house be sold as is if there are things in the home that are not working? So let's say you do get there and they say my dishwasher doesn't work or my uh, I haven't used my disposal in years. I just you know put things in the trash and so it doesn't work. Can a house be sold like that? Absolutely. And what we do is we've got a state disclosure we fill out. And we'll sit there with you as you fill it out. And if you say it doesn't work, or we say it doesn't work as is, it's those statements that we need to make on the contract at the end that says, hey, we've told you it doesn't work, we've told you we're not gonna fix it. So it's building those expectations in the contract arrangement up front. And it also may be such that a disposal is a really good example. If everything else in your house works and the disposal is the only thing that does not work, that's a $100, investment to be able to give a total picture of something that works or does, that your entire house is in good shape, rather than someone focusing on something and you're telling a story about your home and if everything works, that $150 investment's going to come back to you. So you're looking at things individually. Often clients will tell us, well, we've not used our fireplace in the 25 years that we've lived here. I'm not gonna go outside and cut wood and put it in your fireplace to test it. That way we're gonna disclose that you don't know if it works or not. I'm not. We're not gonna recommend that you invest the time, energy to be able to get that tested or not. That could be a buyer's. They could move in and potentially never use it for the next 20 years. So that's not something that's a high issue. But some, um, the next one that we hear a lot is of the Whirlpool in the, in the master bedroom. We've not used that in 15 years. You know what? Let's go turn it on. <laughs> right? I can go in, fill it up, turn it on. That's not a hard one. I can operate that. Um, so if that's the case, test it. Oh, it does work. Okay, check mark. We don't have to worry about that one. What if it doesn't work? If it doesn't work, then I can tell you traditionally that's not something that we recommend that you get fixed. It, you can have it looked at, or they can. We can wait for inspections. That way, you can say it doesn't work. Because again, somebody may or may not use it. It may or may not be important to them. You may spend $500 for the Whirlpool tub to be repaired. And the person who's buying it thinks it's kind of gross to have a Whirlpool tub because of all the germs that are in it that circulate through it and blah, blah, blah. So it just it depends on the person. Yeah. So you're gonna hear that word, that phrase a lot today. It depends, okay? So just know that. You guys know we use that a lot. It depends on a lot of factors, and so we'll try to cover as many of those today as we can, but you may say to yourself, well, I still don't know for my personal situation what I should do, in which case that it depends means we need to see it in the context of your entire house, and your goals for that matter, right? Okay, so inspections have been talked about a lot, so and disclosures. So let's talk about disclosures first. And then let's talk about the inspection process. Okay, Chris referred to disclosures, so tell everybody what that is. So your disclosures, it's three pages. The first page is all about the things in your house. HVAC, plumbing, 
hot water. For those people like me who didn't know what HVAC meant at one point, would you tell them what HVAC is? Your heating ventilation system, so your central heat and air, your air conditioning units, your heater, however you do climate control in your house. Okay, thank you. So hot water tank, all of those things are on there. And we're basically gonna say, yes, it works. No, it doesn't. Unknown. I don't know. Does it work? Does it not work? Or is it not applicable because you do not have it? Not applicable because you don't have it. If you don't have a security system, not applicable. Things like that. So that's what's going to be the first page. The second page is going to get into questions about your house. Have you had an insurance claim on the roof? Have you replaced the roof? Is there any... Uh, it gets into termites. Stuff. Have termites. you expected for termites? Has your house been tested for mold? Has your house been tested for lead-based paint? Have you cooked meth in your house? <laughs> All of these questions are on there. Are there pending things from quasi-government officials that blah, blah, blah? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's crazy. It's all on there, and that's pages two and three. And all you do is write in what you know, and it's only what you know. If you've got a document that says, yes, this is what I know, if you've got a neighbor that told you something that may or may not be, that's not relevant. It's only in what you know is what they're disclosing. Don't you think somebody should probably disclose to those poor people in Surfside, Florida, that there were some problems with that condo? Yeah, right? So if you had purchased in that condo complex and nobody disclosed that to you, would that be a little bit problematic? Yeah. So I don't anticipate us having those kinds of problems uh, with your homes, but the disclosure process is important because if someone moves in and you didn't disclose something, what, what's the liability in that? Well, if you, if you did it because you didn't know, then it's not a lack of disclosure. Right. If you didn't disclose and you knew, that's a different issue. Right. So that's where it comes into problems. Now, the problem is that the buyer's got to prove that you knew. And had, and, but in this town, if you had probably foundation. water, water yeah. foundation is the foundation of water and intrusion are probably two of the biggest things. Foundation, there's only a few companies out there that do this. So you call a company, they've looked at it, they've told you, yes, you need 18 piers, this is where they need to be. That's one thing. Well, what happens is, is the buyer comes out a year later and does the same thing, and they call that one of five companies, 20% chance, and they go, oh yeah, here's my report from when I was here two years ago that said this is what we gave them, blah, blah, blah. And that's when they go, oh. And they call their agent or they call us, and they go, hey, can I see my disclosure? And you said no foundation, no knowledge of it. Well, I have a company that says they gave you a report. That's when you have a problem. So it's important to disclose. Occasionally, we have people ask, well, do I have to say anything about that? And the answer is, if you know about it, yes. <clears throat> you need to disclose it. It's a continuation of telling the story about your house. That's what a disclosure does. It's telling the history of your house as to what you know, what you experienced, and what you are fully aware of in your house. Now, understand, we, we deal with spouses who have had a spouse pass. Well, if the spouse that's passed has done all of those maintenance items and those repairs, you don't know. And we get that. And that's something we can explain. We have disclosed everything we knew, and that's that. So that, that happens as well. So it's a matter of just being able to say, being honest and upfront. And we only have to answer the questions on the disclosure. We don't have to give them other stories that may or may not be relevant to the house. Which just is, what's on the disclosure. Which, so Shannon, uh, why is it that you don't like for people to be there when the house is being shown? 
Is it for that reason partially? They tell so, stories behind it. They tell stories about it. And also, yeah. also, it's to save my seller's feelings because people sometimes are not kind. <laughs> They'll walk through your house and they will say not nice things. Um, they'll say their opinion. Or they begin to tell stories of their own about what they see in your house and they begin to make up their own story and their perception of what's going on. So it's better for sellers not to be yeah. there during showings. Oh, can I, Jean? Yeah. Okay, so we, we, our broker for the first 10 years we were together selling real estate, we just sold her house earlier this year. Now, if you've been here the last couple of months, oh, you've heard stories. She's the one who moved to Dallas. We love yeah. her to death and she's, she's like another mother to me, frankly. And so I, I just, I have that much respect for her. And she doesn't listen. You will eventually be a story. Yes. So, yes. When you work with us, you'll be a story. So It'll be a she, good story. she doesn't listen. She wants to do it her own way. So we finally got her to where she would move. But we had showings before she moved. Well, I couldn't get her to stay away from the house long enough for people to look at us. She'd show back up and talk to the buyer. And I'm like, Jean, you taught me. You taught me this isn't good. So stop doing it. Yeah. I learned it from you. Because well, she would point out all the flaws. You know how we all have flaws in our house, right? And she would walk through and go, oh, and then there's that, and this was scuffed, and it's like, stop pointing out the flaws, right? That's what the disclosure is. Well, and also for safety. So Jean was a realtor for years, and she would have told any of her agents and her sellers to never open the door to strangers and tell your children that. We had a situation where a, a buyer knocked on the door and she invited them in and showed them the house. So again, not what we Bad recommend. Idea. Yeah, yeah, not saying it. Anyways, so lots of reasons. And okay. she knows better. Yeah. Okay, so I put on the screen a picture of the acknowledgement and confirmation of disclosure. So what is that form and why do we why do we share it? Okay, so this form is that the buyers when the buyers make an offer, this is the form that you're gonna receive. This form states that the buyer received the disclosure from their agent and they are aware of it. You are stating and you're signing that you have provided it to them for their review. So that basically everyone agrees that it's been provided and received and they've been able to see it. So there's no he said, she said, I didn't get it. It's like we want to know and it's all right. Okay. Also, the other piece of this, if your realtor, if your listing agent brings you the buyer, this is also where they disclose that they are um, working for both the buyer and the seller, so or if they're in the same brokerage, that this is also where that's disclosed. Okay, so. And, and if you live in an HOA, a required HOA, there's another form for HOAs. It's the same thing. We've got to disclose all the information from the homeowners association to that buyer, and they have an out that says they have so many days to inspect. So we've got to provide that information too. Okay, so there's multiple disclosures. We've talked about the house disclosure, the lead-based paint disclosure, the homeowner association disclosures, right? Okay, so depending on their circumstance. Well, we didn't really talk about lead-based paint disclosure. So we talked about lead-based paint. If your house was built prior to 1978, you will sign an additional disclosure if you have knowledge of lead-based paint in your home. Um, and how you have knowledge of that is if it has been tested and you receive results. If you do not have, if you did not paint your house with paint that you knew had lead-based paint, or you did not have it tested, then traditionally your knowledge is that no, you do not know you have not, you have no knowledge of lead-based paint in your home. So that's just, that's the other. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I've been in the business uh, for 30 years. 
person on it is I don't think I've ever had anybody ever have to disclose that they had knowledge of lead bank's paint. Have you? No. I, mean, I, I can't think I, of any. I can't think of any. Okay. I mean, basically, you tell anybody that's had a house built before 1978 has got lead based paint in, under there somewhere. Yeah. It's probably been painted many times over, but it's there somewhere. Yeah. But we don't know for sure, so we don't disclose it. Don't eat the paint. Don't eat the paint. Okay. So, okay. So, let's, let's talk about inspections. And the reason I want them to talk about inspections is because this is where as is really comes up. Okay. You can say you want to sell your house as is. And the majority, Shannon will tell you, of people want to inspect it, okay? So Shannon, when someone contracts, um, the screen says, buyer has 10 days from the contract date to inspect. What are they going to inspect? Walk us through that process so that those people who haven't purchased a house in a long time, it, that process has changed over the years. What does it look like now? Okay, so when uh, a buyer purchases a home, there's two primary inspections that they will complete initially in this time period. They can change that date, so that date can be changed to as little as three days, um, or it can be no days. I mean, they can put any time frame on there they want, or if they can extend it. They can say they would like 15 days um, to be able to inspect the house. The two inspections they will start with is a full home inspection and a termite inspection. Those two inspections should be done in the same day, so you are not having to leave your house multiple times. They can be scheduled simultaneously. Most of our clients are already gone anyway, right? Yeah, but it's still easier if they're done the same day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So termite inspections take about 30 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes for a house to be um, inspected for termites. And a home inspection takes anywhere from two to three hours, depending on the size of the home. Okay, so when they go through, and let's start with the whole house inspection. What is the inspector looking for and who hires the inspector? That's a good question. The um, buyer hires and pays the home inspector and the termite inspector. That is a buyer expense. The home inspection is looking for items that are broke, not functioning as they were intended to function. They're looking for safety issues um, and they are, they're looking at surface issues. They cannot see behind the walls, and they're looking at anything that they can turn on or off that day. So if it is a really hot day, they can potentially not be able to test the heater. If it is a really cold day, they, it has to be a certain temperature for them to be able to test the air conditioning unit. They will turn on all the water um, sources in the house and outside the house. They are checking to make sure that the temperatures, the water is hot enough um, or re reaches a certain temperature. They just go through the entire house. They check all the electrical outlets. Again, they're looking, they look underneath all the sinks. They're looking at the on and off valves underneath the sinks. Anything that can be turned on and off um, and is inspected in the house. They're also looking in your attic um, and they're looking at, are they looking at insulation in there? Yeah, that's part of it. They also, I want to say they look for things that are up to code or not. Those are pointed out. Just because something is not up to code, codes change every year, every day probably. So they are looking at what is most current. They're pointing that out as an awareness to the client. Some things that are not up to code could need to be changed, but that's not an always. So what about like, uh I know, Chris, when we bought houses before that are older to use as rental property, we were like GFI uh, 
in the kitchen, let's say, is that an inspection item? It, it comes up on inspection, mainly it comes up as a safety issue. If you've got an outlet next to the sink that has no protection, meaning if you plug the iron in there and had a bolt of water, you dropped the iron in there and it didn't turn off, that's what they're looking for. And that's what the, the GFCI ground something or other, blah, 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 I don't know what it stands for, but it turns things off immediately for those errors. So that's that's the that's the purpose. So they look at GFCIs as a safety issue, okay. much more than they look at it as a code okay. issue. A code issue might be um, knob and no, the bathroom vent in your bathroom is not vented front to the exterior of the building. Um, homes built prior to 1999 or 2010, somewhere in that general area. They have, they were vent, they were, um, the exhaust in your bathroom does not go all the way to the roof. It vents to the attic. It vents into the attic, correct. So now the standard is that it vents all the way to the roof. That house has been there for 50 years and it's not been vented to the roof and it's okay. So that's not something that has to be done. It can be asked for, but it doesn't have to be done. So that's, that, there's no safety hazard to that that I've ever heard ever found that's okay. not. What about uh, hot water tanks being raised uh, that are in the garage? That's pretty common now. Most of the time, if you put a hot water tank in the last 15 years, it's gonna be raised if it's in the garage. If it's enclosed some space that has any potential for storage for anything that could blow up, gasoline, paint, things like that, it's gotta be raised. So if for some reason you have a house that doesn't have that done, it's probably gonna come up on the inspection report for it to be raised. We're not seeing it really anymore awesome. because, because it's, right. they've it's been replaced, it's already been happened. But if it's not raised, we may catch it on the backside on an appraisal requirement if it's not caught on inspection, depending on their financing. So that's another issue okay. we haven't got so to yet. I don't wanna talk about that yet. Okay, we'll get there. <laughs> a lot of what's positive about a hot water tank and code re regulations, as things are repaired and fixed or replaced, they're brought up to code. When I started six years ago, if I did an, a home inspection and the hot water tank was not on the list, it was a shock. Today, Honestly, most of them have been replaced because of the lifespan of hot water tanks. And when they've replaced them, they've brought them up to code. Your bathroom vents, an example for that one, they don't usually break or they just replace what's there and they don't go ahead and extend it out. So that one we're gonna to continue to see probably for a while. Well, if you use that handyman to replace the hot water tank and he doesn't know what code is, then maybe it didn't get raised. But if you used a plumber, yeah. you're good. Uh, so look, just kind of list out for me from your experience, what are the most common things you see on inspection reports, even in a house that's been well-maintained? Well, before we go there, so you, Shannon talked about the day of the inspections, what they look okay. at. So what we look, what, what can potentially happen after that is they may want additional inspections. They may want a specific person to come out and look at foundation or look at roof or look at tools. Well, pools are usually done the same day. Okay. Well and septic are usually done the same day, if you've got those, but those are secondary to the main inspection. Roof and foundation are traditionally the two that you're going to see additional call-outs for. The other would be a structural engineer if there are, um, and that would be for foundation, if there's excessive cracks or separating in the house. Again, any of the additional um, inspections are a buyer expense. So that would not be something that you would have to pay for. They also have that window. So remember they had X number of days. 
So if they are doing all of their inspections on day number nine, and they want to do additional inspections, they have to do that that next day or request an extension of that inspection period because they cannot just inspect your house every day until closing and continue to give you additional items to be repaired. Okay, so let's talk about the pest inspection. So I use the termites, but this whole house pest, it's inside and out, right? Wood destroying. Wood destroying. Wood destroying organisms. Okay. Yeah, and so termites in Oklahoma are very common. So even if they have their house treated, does someone inspect for termites? Absolutely. Um, to, a termite inspection is a requirement for any lender that the house has been inspected. Um, the, the inspection, again, takes about 30 minutes. They're looking on the exterior of the house, the interior of the house. As a homeowner, if you have a base system or if you have had a, your house treated in the last five to 10 years, providing that is helpful. That is also helps the termite inspector know, again, what the history of the house is and what's been going on in the house. So, and then you will have disclosed that as part of the disclosure. On the, real, on the real estate transaction side, bait systems have little to no credibility. So I understand the concept of why they sell bait systems, but for the real estate transaction, a bait system can cause other issues, and it's more expensive for you to maintain over time versus treating once and then treating again in 15 to 20 years, generally what it speaks. So most, uh, so, okay, well, let me back up. Okay, so. What about outbuildings? So their house, interior, outside, what about like workshops, barns, uh, other structures on the property? Outbuildings should be sold as is. Um, they did, does need to be listed that way, but they will be inspected. If they need to be treated for termites, that is a negotiable item. It's not necessarily mandatory, especially if you have pre-designated as is and that would be a true as is that we are making no repairs on that outbuilding, that pool, um, those additional items, because those are also not included with um, any type of lender. Okay, so let's say now they've inspected the house, they've done the, uh, well, let me ask about appraisals. Let me go ahead and add that to the list. So they're gonna have a home inspection, they're gonna have a pest inspection, whatever other additional inspections they might choose to have based on the outcome of the others. And now you've got, if they're getting a loan through a bank, a lender, they're gonna have an appraisal. What does that inspection look like? Okay, an appraisal is not, an, okay, so it's not an inspection. It's a, um, invest, it's a, it really is, I mean, they're not inspectors. They're not supposed to be. The appraisal, the appraiser is going to the house to measure the house. They are going to view the house for function and safety. They will not be turning everything in, on in the house. They are looking for very specific functions. Um, and something that some surprises people that an appraiser does not care if the air conditioner works. They do care that the heater works, that is a requirement. The stove has to work. There has to be no peeling paint. So their inspection or their investigation of the house is looking for safety and function for very specific items. Does, it, does the appraisal differ based on the type of loan the buyer is getting? Yes. Um, there are, you have conventional loans, that is a bank-based loan. That, is, that appraisal is usually much um, simpler. 
Yeah, a little more direct. They come in and they're looking very much at the value of the house. An FHA or a VA loan are government-based loans. That would also include USDA loans and other government-based loans. Those appraisers are looking for much more specific, safe, sound, and secure items. Um, so they are looking that there's no trip hazards. They are looking, I mean, so if you have a stair, steps that they would have handrails. Um, that there's no peeling paint. Um, that this stove works. That, that there actually is a stove. That there is a stove, <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Um, that there is a heater, um, right. that there is a hot water tank, um, and that those things function. So they are looking at that. So they're looking um, Are window screens still a thing? And windows being able to open and that kind of thing on FHA? Not being broke. Right. They're not, not as broke. concerned about all of them opening as much anymore. I've not seen many ch challenge opening. It used to be there had to be at least one window that opened in every bedroom for egress, emergency egress. I don't think it's I've not had that looked called out as But no windows broken, so you can't have cracked glass. So now let's say we've gotten through all of these different people coming out and looking at the various things. So, okay, hold on. Yeah. So you have an inspection, and what they're requesting from an inspection, a home inspection, your termite. Um, we're going to talk about that in a minute as TRR, but appraisers can make requirements of something being fixed that may not be on the home inspection. So that re is a requirement, it's not a request. Because for that loan to be finalized and approved, that specific repair would have to be completed. So you could have an as-is house um, and the buyer agree to as-is, but if it is an FHA, a VA, or even conventional, and they make a requirement um, for the appraisal, you would still have to make that repair for the house to complete the transaction. Okay, so now this is where you may get some stories because we have lots of, lots, of, <laughs> lots of inspection repair stories, so you guys feel free to use examples. Um, so when the buyer does these inspections, Everybody's done their thing. They're going to now give you a report. If you're the listing agent, let's assume these two are playing the role of the agent who has the house listed. And there's another agent involved who's working with the purchaser. And they have now filled out a form, Shannon. You called it a TRR. Treatment Repair and Replacement. Okay. And this is a standard form. Okay. And they're going to fill it out. And what are they going to put on that form, generally? This form is meant to tell you first if you passed, if your termite, if you have termites or not, if you have wood destroying items, uh, um, organisms or not. So, does the house need to be treated? Yes or no. Then the remainder of that list is their grocery list of what they want repaired in the home. Um, so they may say there is a loose toilet in the guest bathroom. There is a the hot water tank was not lit and could not be. Um, it was not functioning properly. Could be that the air conditioning unit was not blowing um, to a certain degree and needs to be serviced. Um, so again, each of these things could be on that TRR list. This is then um, given to us as your listing agent. We take this report with the full home inspection. We bring it to you and we go over that report with you. Okay, I want to, uh, Chris, talk about Jean's house some more <laughs> because Jean's got great stories. So Gene had a roof that came up on the report. We, Gene had a roof that came up on the inspection that said, hey, there's some damage on South Slope, West Slope. It's like, okay, great. We'd been working with the insurance company about getting a replacement. So we, we had been going down both those roads trying to see what's our best avenue. 
So in, in the when it all came about, the insurance was not paying anything for the roof, so we still had something to address. Well, the way we addressed all of their repairs was we basically said, we'll pay X dollars of your closing costs, and you take the house as is. And that's what we ended up doing. So even with a major, a potentially major inspection item, you can negotiate it. Everything can go away with money, usually. The question then becomes is, is that a reasonable amount to give away, or should we just make the repair for a lesser amount? Okay, and so. And we'll go through that as well if we're sitting down with you. Yeah, so like Shannon was saying, this list, right? And they're going to sit down with you with the inspection report and the list. So play out for me when you sit down with a client and you're looking at that list. You've looked at it already, obviously. Right. You're sitting down with them. Do they have to do everything on the list? Do they have to do some of it? How do you tell them what to do and not to do? We've already looked at the list before you get it, obviously. And we've already made some <coughs> judgments around reasonable what we typically see and we'll bring those to you and then I'll let Shannon. Well and I'll, I call it my red pen test. Um, only time I use my red pen is for my TRRs. I'll go down the list and I'll mark off things when they tell us that they want the bathroom painted because they don't like the wallpaper. Right. It's marked. Um, <laughs> that's, that's silly. Um, and you you will hear me in my office. Chris will say oh we're just going to do a TRR because oh, that's silly. And then we're marking that off. Oh that's silly. We're marking that off. Sometimes um, silly isn't the uh, average right word. But anyway, so, <laughs> yeah, different words. We sometimes get creative. Um, with that report, when we bring it to you, not only do you have our suggested edits, but you also, will, we will take this and we begin getting estimates for those items that are left on the list. That helps you be able to make that decision on what you want to address and not address. We're not saying these things have to be addressed. We're just giving you the dollar amounts because sometimes something that may sound very ominous and you read it and go, oh my gosh, that's probably gonna cost me my third grandchild and I'm gonna have to give that child up. Um, it may only cost $50. And then something that may sound pretty easy may cost $500. So we try to bring you those dollars, those estimates, so that you have that idea before you make that decision. When we receive the TRR and the home inspection report, we have seven days to come to an agreement. So that means that first three days are the most important for us because for you and for, and for us as listing agents, because we are doing a lot of legwork at that point. We're calling um, our handyman, we're calling our HVAC, we're calling our plumbers, anyone that needs to be addressed and getting estimates and having them come out and look at those things. As a seller, when it comes to TRR and what Chris was talking about with money, your goal is to be able to sell your house and spend the least amount possible for that item to be fixed, okay? It's gonna be fixed. It may not be Cadillac version, but it will be functional. Okay, let's, you know, let's give an example. Okay. Dishwasher. They have a high-end dishwasher. It's been there for 10 or 15 years. It's uh, and it, it leaks now, and they need to replace it because they can't get the part. What would you recommend? Um, well, I would recommend two things, and then sometimes it's a choice of a buyer. You can replace that dishwasher, but you can replace that dishwasher by going to Hans and speaking with them and letting them know that you're a seller and you're selling your house and you need the most value-oriented dishwasher that they have, and that would cost, say, $400. Well, if you've got a high-end dishwasher, I'm going to 
it, the buyer has an expectation. You've given them an expectation of what it is. So if we know we have a leak up front, we'll do one of two things. We'll either disclose that we're not repairing, or we'll disclose that, that it's there and we're not repairing, or we'll go to the back and just say, how about we replace that before we show the house? Right. But if you but, don't know, and it comes up on right, the inspection right. report. But you, so it's a matter of replacing it, and it doesn't have to be replaced with another wash. No. You can say, I'm going to replace this dishwasher with this dishwasher, or we can give you this credit. And then that becomes the buyer's choice. And they can go buy their and own they can wash. Go, they can, correct, they can take your $400 or whatever amount you're offering and put it towards the one they selected. Um, it could be that you may have white um, appliances and they're planning on changing all the appliances and the $400 may be more useful to them to be put towards replacing the appliances that are all stainless steel or okay. whatever. Well, in, in the example, I mean, Jean had a Bosch dual oven and we had an issue with a seal on one of the ovens. Now, if you held the door just right, it would close and stay closed. If you just kind of let it close, it wouldn't stay closed. So if you stand it. there while it's cooking? No, you didn't have to stand there. Oh, you, 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 just, you could just you push didn't. it and just be gentle with it, it would stay. If you lean to the but, left, it worked better. But they gave us a estimate to replace like kind at $3,500. We're like, no. So it's a matter of just, it's, it's all becomes a negotiation. That was what I was going to point out. So, okay, so what I hear you guys saying as you're talking about this is people are going, wait, I'm still confused. Do I replace it? Do I not replace it? The, it depends, right? So our job is not to make the decision for you. Our job is to get you the data to be able to make the best presentation in the negotiation um, for the buyer to be happy and you to be happy. Um, or meet somewhere in the middle. Okay, yeah. so what happens if you're like Jan and Terry, who have now we've sold their house three times? Three times, okay. So Jan and, and Terry get the award this year for the house being the sold. The Corey Award. The Corey Award, right. We The Corey's got the award the first time for us having to sell their house multiple times. This is so rare. Um, but you guys this time, so let's let's now create some stories. Y'all mind if we talk about your house a little bit? Okay, so this has no reflection on them whatsoever. Well, They've the, got a wonderful the house. The best part about their stories is we never got past inspections. The well, buyer backed out right. before we had any TRR, before we had anything. We had no home inspection. So this is my favorite one for theirs. The second offer, the buyer came to, came to us and said, you tell us what the offer needs to be. You write it, and we'll accept it because they've gotten multiple offers. We've had over 12 offers for their house. So they said, you tell us what offer will that you want and we'll accept it. So part of the stipulation is they wanted to sell the house as is. There's nothing wrong with their house, it's a good house. But they just didn't want to tinker with you know this drip or that drip or whatever. So again, they said, just take it as is. You can still do inspections, but we're gonna sell it as is. So this late, this buyer knew that. They did the home inspection and her, she told her agent, well, what are they hiding? Why are they wanting to sell this house as is? Well, you have the inspection, you agreed to it. You knew that this is, you asked what they wanted. And then all of a sudden she turned that around to they're hiding something. There's something broke. There has to be something broke. And she made her inspector look again. And still there was nothing on that list. Her, um, a, her buyer's agent, the buyer's agent who represented her called me and apologized. Actually, both of them did call and apologize said there's nothing wrong with this house we have buyers that got cold feet and they, they're walking away well terry's convinced that they escaped from a mental institution that they were 
crazy. Crazy buyers. Yeah. We're working on a checklist as we speak on how to prevent crazy buyers. I'm not sure it's going to work, but we're going to test it. So, so on home inspections, what happens if they don't come to an agreement on what the seller will do or not do and what the buyer wants or doesn't want? What happens? We release the deal. We, we go shopping again for a new buyer. Okay. So let's say you have 12 offers on a house and the buyer presents their TRR form and it has this long laundry list of things they want repaired and the seller says, no, I, I, no, I'm not doing any of that. There's no safety issues. There's no really major concerns. These are kindly. I'm not doing those. Can you release that buyer and just see if the next buyer will take it? Yes, number three actually offered on the first round, didn't win, offered the second round, didn't win, and she got the third time, third time's a charm. Okay, so is that going to go through? Yes. (laughs) 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 It depends. (laughs) Right now, today is a good day. So yes, today it is, Um, but it could change. Have they inspected? We're, it, actually, today's appraisal, so we have made it this this buyer, we've gone further. So we're very optimistic. So right now, with what, everything going on in the industry, especially from a city, is that you, you sell your house, i.e. you write a contract. We negotiate potential return, repair terms as is, whatever, they do their inspections. We then turn around and negotiate yet again. So understand, you're selling your house kind of twice. You sell it in the beginning, and then we sell it after we know they've done inspections. And then potentially, if we have an appraisal issue, we then have some piddly thing we have to deal with there. So it's never done the first day you sign the contract. It's a process to get it through. And that's what we do, is we, we walk that through that whole process and run that gauntlet with everybody. Okay, so we're going to take questions uh, here in a second, and before we do that, I'm going to do just kind of a little disclosure here, because um, obviously we, you know, Buckley Realty Group is who these guys represent and how we do it, right, as a team. That is not necessarily how every agent does it. So I can tell you from being a manager of real estate offices that not every agent is going to go out and do the work to get you estimates to find out what it will take and find you the people to do it. They're going to hand you that report and they're going to say, take care of this and let me know when it's done. So I, if you're using anybody other than our team to sell your home, this process is, it's, there is a process, but not every realtor handles the process the same way. Does that make sense? Okay, so I don't want to put that on any other agent. You say, well, Nikki Buckley said this is the way you do it. No, 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 no. This is how this team does it. That isn't necessarily true of how all uh, agents do it. It's our standard. It's our standard, yeah. Okay, so Q&A, uh, we're going to go through, and so this is the time where you can say, what, what about this, what about that? And don't be surprised if you get an it depends. Dan? Do you need to get your home warranty updated or your car warranty? warranty. Your car warranty? Okay, good. All right, Jerry, Jerry, question. The lender's appraisal, if they find something that needs to be repaired, they don't care who pays for it. Is that correct? So the question is if the lender, the lender's appraiser that they send out, if there's a repair item, uh, do they care who pays for it or how it gets accomplished? They, They don't care about anything as long as the fact that it's done in the end so yeah it's a negotiable item in some aspects 
but it has to be done prior to closing. And most buyers won't write a check for something to be done prior to closing. So a lot of times we'll negotiate that to where it's paid for at closing and whoever pays for it will just depend on what side it goes on the selling statement. Does that answer your question, Jerry? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Tom? Uh, what is the agent's responsibility to get the buyer Okay, well whose responsibility is it to make sure that purchasers have the covenants for the homeowner association? If as a homeowner you have that, it's nice to provide it. But it is required that they get it, who is required to give it to them is title. Because title will give them the most current well, updated. They're, they're going to sign a document saying they have it or have five days to review it. And I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on this because their agent should provide that to them in a reasonable amount of time to make that decision. Do you live in an HOA? Have you served on the board? Because you're, yeah, you, you and I have these pains. Because you're they saying the listing agent or buyer's, buyer's agent? Buyer's agent. Now, if we have on the listing side, we will provide it through RMLS and they will have all the documents. They can download them and they can do it. But we, not all have, agents will. But not all agents will. So we run into a problem on the back end when the buyer closes and doesn't know they can't do what they thought they could do. Is what you're saying. Okay, so here's, okay, hang on, wait. He's asking whose responsibility is it to get it to the buyer? In, in the end, it's the buyer's responsibility. The buyer's agent should do it. Jeff, Tom, are you asking for a specific reason? Give us a scenario. Well, yeah. Uh, when the buyer takes possession of the house that's in an HOA that has covenants, Right. And then they say, I didn't know. Does the board know that they have got a copy of the covenant? Now, when I get a notice, I get a notice from the title company that tells me, send me, have they paid their dues? Right. And what are the dues? Yada, yada, yada. And in that return letter I give to them, I make, I tell them that the title company needs Somebody needs to give the, the buyer a copy of the current covenant. And that, at the very bottom of that letter, is a signature from the buyer stating that, yes, he has got a copy of the and, and, and that's what that HOA document does that we get in the beginning of the thing, beginning of the contract. And I feel your pain, and we can talk about this because I serve on the HOA at, at my association, so it's complicated. There's no easy, clear-cut answer, and there's no liability given to anybody except the buyer. The buyer is ultimately responsible for that. Now, do they get it from title? Do they get it from their agents? Probably, and they probably have copies of the packets in there. Did they read them? Yeah. And that's where you run into your challenges. Okay, so this goes back to, you know, real estate agents, by the way, are not all trained equally. Okay, so if you have a new agent out there and they're working with a client and they go to purchase a property in a homeowners association neighborhood, they're going to tell that purchaser, sign here, sign here, sign here. One of the places they're saying sign here is that you receive these. Now it's their job or the buyer's job to say, wait a minute, I don't have those. I'm not signing that, but they won't because they want that house. So at closing, the title company is going to go down and say, you have received a copy of this, 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 and this, and the buyer goes, great. All they're really doing is checking a box to say, I can buy that house. Whether or not they read those, 
those covenants uh, and bylaws are. And title gives them a copy. It, they do get a copy, yeah. And what they're signing initially from the disclosure is that you're just aware there is one and that it is your responsibility as a buyer to obtain it. That's all they're signing. They're not but signing it that copy. The, the biggest challenge is that buyers move into a neighborhood with a homeowner association and they break a rule. Right? They break a rule. They, they walk their dog in the front instead of the back or in the doggy park. Okay. Then they get a citation from the homeowner association that says you can't do that. And they go, what? I didn't know. And you go, you read the bylaws, right? You read the covenants, right? And they go, no, nobody gave them to me. Well, that is not true. So that's where the rift comes in. They may right. not have realized they had them, right. but they have them in their closing packet. Okay. Now, if they're a tenant, that's a whole different problem. Okay, so yeah, so does that answer your question? Is it the buyer's, is it the seller's responsibility to tell their agent that there is a covenant for the yes. HOA? And it's part of the disclosure. It is part of the formal disclosure. It asks, are you a member of a mandatory owner's association, right, yes right, or no? Right, 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 right. And how much the association dues are. And who is it's the president? Right yeah, it's all on there. Yeah, but that's not that they have given them a copy of the covenant. Right, right. Correct. Okay, yes, ma'am. Okay. to make them. So let's talk about 
Association, we have a homeowner that we sold their home and they had structural problems. And so the, the, they had to have some peering, as I recall. And the Condo Association covered that. In our association, structural is covered by the association. That's not all associations. That's because we have common elements. Okay, and so if the inspection comes in and Shannon says, okay, on the TRR it says there are uh, repairs that need to be made to the foundation, then how do you handle that? Do you go to the homeowners association? Who does that? Okay, so if I have a buyer and I am helping that buyer who's buying some uh, property, a house, a home, a, a condo that has common areas, a roof, right. or um, something that the HOA is responsible for, we'll write two TRRs. One that goes to the homeowner, that things that they're responsible for, and then one that would go to the HOA. Because HOAs traditionally do not respond quickly they, because they have to go through a process. They have to go through their board, they have to give their own estimates, they have to go through this. So the homeowner um, it, or the buyer is maybe not going to have this repaired prior to them moving in. They may take possession of the home, close on it, and then continue to work through the HOA process for those other items to be repaired because it may just take longer. So again, it, it varies by, by area because homeowners are not going, the, if you're in a condo or a townhome where the exterior is taken care of by the association, they're not going to pay for the roof to be repaired or that something on the exterior because it's not their responsibility. They've paid homeowners association dues for that to be completed. Well, and, and what we want to do is get confirmation from the HOA, the homeowners association, that yes, those are our repairs to do. Now understand, that HOA has their time frame, their systems, their tools, and just because they say that they're their responsibility, we're, we're kind of done at that point. Now it's up to the buyer to stay on top of the association and get them done in a reasonable The buyer doesn't time. have to close though. The buyer can the say, buyer can say they no, not make a change of mind. Yeah. And when you're talking about a homeowner's association, they're looking at the greater good. They're looking at the total picture. So they have a budget and that's where the timetable comes. So it's a very different thing when you're talking about a homeowners association that takes care of exterior parts of the body, not just of the house, rather than just green common areas. Okay. 30 second side note. If you look at buying and you're buying in an HOA that's got a mandatory dues, they've got mandatory coverage of what they do, know their financials, yes. know their reserves, know that they've got money putting back every month and know that they can do that. That's just a side note to the whole homeowners association thing. Yeah. All right. Good. Good question. Did that answer? Yeah. How do you find out the HOA's financial? How do you get the HOA's financial? You ask for it. You ask for it. Most of them have it public public at some point. So websites find them. Most of the larger condos, like you can get them that way. But we have to ask for them their financials. Tommy, can anybody ask for your financials? Sure. Yeah. What do you? What do you? Nobody has. Nobody's ever asked. Isn't that interesting? When right? we bought, I asked because yeah. I had several questions because yeah. because I know better. Not most people don't know or aren't taught. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good questions. Yes, ma'am. Describe 
let me describe the tree. So the neighbor has a tree that has a crack down the middle. It's got a chain around it. And she's wondering if when that house sells, is that an inspectable item? If that tree's limbs go over the um, roof and they potentially touch the roof, the inspector may call out that um, the limbs would be dangerous to the home and cause damage to the roof and suggest or recommend that the, the limbs be trimmed back. Limbs, but the limbs, tree. but not the tree. So otherwise, they will not call out the tree unless it is a safety hazard. The electrical lines fall to the electrical company. So even if it takes them out, it's it's their responsibility. It's just an ugly tree that needs to be taken out. And so, and if they won't do it, then, then you know what? If you hate it that bad, you may have to pay to have it done. Or, or hopefully maybe <laughs> the new owner will take care of it. Yeah, that's the sad part, yeah. yeah. We have actually had owners pay to have the neighbor's house painted before. Because when you're in their backyard and you look out, all you can see is this two-story house with this god-awful chipping paint. And it, the buyers are like, that's an eyesore. So the seller says, you know what? I'm going to go to the neighbors and tell them I'd like to paint the back of your house. They go, sure. <laughs> Problem solved. Well, same with fences. Same with fences. Yeah. Fixed right. fences. Yeah. Fences are going. I saw a hand back here somewhere. I'm sorry. Nope, maybe over here. Yep, bed. Three offers, and you picked one of those three offers. 
I provide appraisers a um, cover sheet with all of the offers behind it so they know that the market is telling us this house is worth this amount of money. I will also provide them a list of updates that have gone in your house, into your home so they know that the air conditioner was put in two years ago, the hot water tank is six months old, the roof is this age. Things that appraisers may not be able to see quickly or be able to identify age appropriately. So we will give them a cheat sheet so that makes their job easier. And so with those items that traditionally will help once we've looked at comps ourselves, to know that that would hopefully warrant that appraisal amount. So we're pricing and selling your house for what the market is today, theoretically. That's the goal, whatever the market is today. Appraisers go, what was the market the last six months? So that's where we run into the conflict is that what it was and what it is. And where changed. it's headed. That's the well, other issue. Where it's headed is a different story. Yeah. So I mean, that's the thing. So let's, I want to just kind of shift gears slightly and then I'll open it back up to the questions. So we're talking about as is and we're talking about in a seller's market. Okay. So there have been two or three things that have popped up that I just want to revisit quickly. Multiple offers. In other words, you put your house on the market for 200000 and you get five, six, seven offers, 12 offers, whatever it might be, okay? Um, so, and sometimes those offers are more than what you're asking. Uh, can you give me a scenario uh, of where that has happened and how you handle that? Okay, so. Okay, so let's start. So when, you, if, when it comes to as is, if you have multiple offers, so you receive five offers, not all offers are created equal. Right. And I can tell you that the highest dollar price is also may not be the best offer. So you have, just for easy numbers, you have three offers for your house. We would, we have put it on the market for $100,000, okay? So you put your house on the market for $100,000, you receive three offers. One offer is for 95,000 and it's a cash offer. One offer is for $100,000, it's a conventional loan and they are willing to pay up to $3,000 if it does not appraise, meeting that $100,000. Um, and then you have one that's, that they're willing to pay $115,000 for your house. And it's an FHA loan, okay? So of those three- Are they asking for closing costs on top of that? None of them are asking for closing costs. Yeah, don't go there. Don't open that can of worms. He's a troublemaker. Um, none of them are asking for closing costs. Um, so, and, and really that's taking into the market because that's a new thing. No one asks for closing costs. If they do, oh, red mark, they're done. Um, okay, so those three offers, we can justify, we know that your house is valued in your neighborhood somewhere between 100 and maybe 105. And we really maybe pushed it at, at 100. Maybe it was really valued at 95 and we kind of pushed it to 100. That 115, you are running the risk of renegotiating down to $100,000 if it does not appraise for that 115. So of the three, the middle that's willing to take the house as is a conventional loan, which is not a government-based loan, local lender, say it's a local lender, and they're willing to up the price, um, come to the table with $3,000 of their own money if it appraises for 97 or 95, that's probably your better offer than the one that's 115 that you're gambling that it's gonna come down from there. Does that make sense? So that's where it's a real discussion and it's not just about numbers. So people who throw money at something, 
at the beginning, and it's okay to throw a little money at it um, if needed, hopefully not, but um, at the beginning, money is not always the cure-all because there you do still have there's lots of yeah. variances. Well, and even if we look at offers that are all, let's say that they're all within a few thousand dollars, three thousand dollars max difference, and they're all by lenders, they're all financing. So we'll take those and go, okay, we know this lender does this, and this lender does that, and this lender does this, and this is a problem, and this is, we'll not close on time because we know they don't ever do that. And here's your prime lender that we see most effectively closing. We'll look at that and say, you know, this may be $1,000 less, but this lender can, is able to influence and get the right appraiser. If they got a good, good slew of appraisers they have to choose from. They'll they probably get the value faster. They'll close on time. We'll say, this because of who they're using, it's probably the best offer. And maybe you could counter it to meet the other offers. Absolutely, and we say, well, they're short 2,000, so maybe we counter 2,000 say, hey, because of what you've done so far, we can do this, how about yeah. this? So we're looking at, I mean, down to who, who your lender is. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a difference to the seller, and it also makes a difference to how we get your transaction. So you guys should, time. you know, if you think it's funny watching Shannon or listening to Shannon go through a TRR, you ought to, be on the other side of the wall when she's putting together a spreadsheet with multiple offers, right? Because that's really what it is. Because she can't just come in there and hand you 10 packets with all these papers because you'll be looking at her like, what, if, what do I do with this, right? So she goes through this process of taking all of the different variables that were just kind of described and then some and plotting them on a spreadsheet and line by line saying, this would be your net, this would be the lender, this would be the time that they're asking for, et cetera. There's lots well, of factors. Well, we've got people in the room that have that yeah. experience already. Right. We're good at it. Yeah. Bill, you had a question? Well, this is maybe a little off topic, but you see all these ads on TV about, I'll buy your house for cash. Good question. Is that just a rip off? Okay. No, good question. Okay, so all the ads, all the things you get in the mail, the signs you see, we'll buy your house for cash. How many of you have gotten at least one of those? Oh, yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Okay, so they will pay cash for your house, no closing costs, in three weeks close. Um, Chris, you want to address this? What are they doing? How do they figure out what they'll pay you? So they have a formula they work with. So they're going to look at your house, they're going to walk your house, they're going to see if there's any major deficits to it. Does this need a roof? Does it need HVAC? Do they have all that? They're going to take all those repair costs. They're going to say, if this house at market value currently, not repaired, but currently is 100000 they deduct all these things. So they say it's going to be repairs. Let's say their repair list is $25,000. So now they're down to $75,000. And then they go, I'm going to pay them 35% of that. So they look at your house that started out at 100,000 value if you sold it retail. They're gonna deduct their repairs. They're gonna turn around and deduct another 65%. And they're gonna say, okay, so I'm gonna offer you 28.5. And you cash. can cash will close in three weeks. And the fact is, is that all of our things are cash because you get paid in closing no matter what, whether it's a lender doing it or it's a cash sale. So it's not terribly relevant, but for some reason, there are people out there that go, okay, that sounds easy, I want to do that. Now that's all wonderful, great and dandy. Now let's say you come out and, and they've said, we'll do this, we're gonna give you a fair price for it, at least in your mind, a fair price. They're gonna give you that $90,000. Well, the question is, is can they close? Because we have people that will, we have, we've had two in the last couple of years that they signed a deal 
to contract to sell their house to this person for this price. Well, what they're doing is they're taking your house, they're tying it up for six weeks, they're marketing it for $120,000, trying to get it sold before they have to close so someone else buys it, not them, because they ain't got a dime. And just so you know, they teach classes. And by the way, they'll do a hotel room, there'll be three times this many people in that hotel ballroom learning how to do what he just said. They call it wholesaling. And they're teaching these a lot of times very entrepreneurial people, very charismatic. We have a, I, I always laugh because my son-in-law thought he wanted to do this for a little while until he came to our house. <laughs> and uh, he came in and said, I think I'm going to start wholesaling. I went to this class in Austin, and they taught us how to do it. And I went, really? Good deal. How does that work? He didn't have a clue how to explain it to me, how it worked. But he began to tell me, and I said, so what you're saying is you have no money, and you're going to go buy a house, contract on a house, go find a buyer to buy it from you before you've closed on it. He goes, yeah, exactly. I went, oh, God, help us all. <laughs> right? So, so I'm not going to call it fraud. It's real close. It's real close. Yeah. If they're not disclosing to you that that's what they're doing, by the way, it is fraud. It's, it, it is at that point. Now, they will disclose to you in fine print that that's what they're doing, but you won't read it because you'll be so excited that you just got a cash purchaser. There is a local real estate company that that is exactly what they do. We fell for it once. And anytime we get an offer from them, I, I would, if, if I could get away with just shredding it and not showing it to my seller, I would, but I have to show it to her, it's required. I show it with a red line. <laughs> Back in the old days, you used to get a contract, it had to be presented, and you had a specific number of days to respond. How has it worked with being open for multiple offers? offers? Yeah. yeah. So what time. is the response time, basically? Yeah. So when you, when it used to be, you said, you know, you, had, you got an offer, and it would say you have, say, 24 hours to respond or 72 hours to respond. You're getting multiple offers now. What is the response process? Okay, so price point um, guides that a lot. The higher the price point, the less multiple offers are out there. Um, if, when you put a house on the market, multiple offers um, historically come rather quickly because that is a high demand area or high demand price point. If you have been on the market for, say, 15 days, and your house has not received any offers, and you receive an offer, um, you may get two in a row, that's kind of sometimes how it goes. You have, tr you can push back as the seller, because right now they're, I got an offer the other day that they told me I had three hours to respond on July 4th weekend. They get a red pen? They got a red pen. <laughs> they got a phone call, so kind of a red phone call, because I called very nicely and said, I so appreciate the offer, thank you, um, but my seller is unavailable for the next 24 hours, and we will respond by this day and that this date and time, is that acceptable to your buyer? They, you hear them on the other side go, yes, they'll take that. Um, and then that allows us to respond appropriately. My goal is not to wait for other offers. You wanna deal with that offer. So if it's a good offer, I would tell you that you negotiate with that offer and you continue. If it's not a good offer, then you can say no and you can wait for another offer. Um, but again, every offer that comes in front of you, you can accept it, you can reject it, or you can counter offer. So if that offer's not what you expected, it's the only one you have on the table, 
then my suggestion is that you counteroffer and begin negotiations. Yeah, so there, there is a response time that the purchaser puts in the contract, and it can be anything, like you said, from three hours to... It could be five minutes, yeah. respond by five o'clock. But all that really minutes. means is if they don't respond, the contract is void. But, you know, that's all that means. Now, at this point, the seller's in control. I mean, right. the sellers are in control of the game at this point. So kind of like the speed limit that's 35 miles an hour, it's a suggestion. Um, you, can, you can just, um, you can call back and suggest another time, um, and, and you can say this is what we request, and then they can accept it or deny it, um, and I've not had anybody tell me no. Betty, last question. If they have a mortgage, you still have to satisfy the mortgage at closing. So either way, if they're only going to give you X dollars and your your mortgage is higher than that, it doesn't work. Your your lender's not going to say, oh, it's okay. We won't take that money. time up front before they actually have to give you any money to sell it to somebody else first but if you can't pay your mortgage company at closing you can't close or you bring a check with you or yeah or you bring money so let me just say this before we uh, finish the conversation and that is that the, the pay the people who are out there buying houses for cash they are they are working off of the law of averages, the numbers, okay? So statistically, they know that there's a certain percentage of people out there who this is a fit for. It's probably not anybody in this room. Now, Jean, back to Jean, she had a condo, or a, yeah, a condo down in Dallas that she had rented out for years and years and years to a friend of hers. And basically, when the friend moved out, she goes, you know what, it needs to be completely remodeled. It's really not in good condition. I don't want to have to go to Dallas to deal with it. She called one of these investor guys. He made her a ridiculously low offer, and she took it. Convenience, hassle-free, didn't have to worry about it, easy. And she wasn't relying on the income from that asset. Right. It was completely 100% to her just bonus money, like she didn't even have. Does that make sense? So it really, it's for people who have... Let's say you were you inherited a house in Oklahoma City, and you're you, you're a kid who lives in California. Your parents left you this house that needs to be completely remodeled and emptied, and you don't want to have to hassle with it. Those guys, that's who you're looking for. That's who they're looking for. Somebody who wants to just take whatever they can get for it and move on. And it's unfortunate because it affects your property values too, right? When it happens in your neighborhood, so we try not to let that happen. All right, can we give these guys a round of applause? Okay, so uh, to kind of wrap up today's conversation, uh, on your eval, if you did not get your question answered, there is a space for that. There is a space for that. And it says, what questions do you still have? If you will fill that out and put your name at the bottom, I will ask one of our team members to call you and see if they can't answer that question. 
If they cannot answer the question without coming to your house, they'll tell you that and schedule a time to come see your particular issue, whatever that might be, okay? If we do that, that's not a sales pitch. That is just us as a courtesy to you answering a question, okay? Don't think that you need to sell your house or be ready to sell your house for us to answer a question for you. It's not about that, okay? Uh, all right, next month, let me tell you what this is about because I wanna make sure you guys understand it so that you can tell anybody that might be appropriate to come to this class. This seminar, you guys, is really about downsizing with dementia. And when I say downsizing with dementia, um, I have been on, I'm gonna say two out of every four appointments that I've gone on in the last several months, last year, there is at least one party in the conversation concerned about future or current memory issues, okay? And so they're saying, I know I may need to do something because there may be a mental health issue that our family is dealing with. There are some things that are important for you to be thinking about in that regard. If you know someone who has a significant other or a family member with dementia and they're wondering when and where and how do I make this the least stressful, the least difficult situation, that's what we're gonna talk about next month, okay? Uh, I've got some folks that I'm relying on for a lot of this information. Some of it will be from our experience and what we do. But at the end of the day, guys, uh, this topic is, is relevant to everybody, but there are people in your lives that you probably know that you say they need to be at this. Okay, and if you wouldn't mind, just give them a call and say, hey, I'd love you to come to class to a class with me um, where they're gonna talk about this topic. I'm hoping it will help. It's a delicate topic, isn't it? Right, it's a delicate topic. And this isn't a uh, conversation that we're saying to people they have to do something or they need to do something. It's not an urgency thing. It's just food for thought. I want people to be thinking through how and what they would do if this happens in their life, okay? Um, and if it's happening in their life now, we have people that we can, con can connect them with to help them through the process. All right, and then next week, those of you in the Downsizers Club, uh, you guys are gonna go over the contracts that they talked about today, like the inspection process and everything. You guys are gonna get a copy of the Oklahoma contract booklet. Shannon's gonna go over the main things in the contract that you would need to know about, not just for selling as is, but um, but just for, sorry? Hey guys, Kathleen, before you go, can we thank Kathleen for running the audio today? <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Kathleen is uh, one of the Spanish Cove team members, and she, uh, when Chris, I told him he was going to be up here, he goes, I can run it from up here. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. So <laughs> Kathleen volunteered to do that. We appreciate her. Thanks, girl. So uh, so the Downsizers Club group will meet uh, in the room over there uh, next week. I believe it's the 15th. Is that right, Shannon? Yeah. And so if you have not joined the Downsizers Club and you want to be a member, let me just tell you really quickly what that is. If you're thinking about moving in the next, say, year to five years, you're not ready yet, but you want to prepare, and these classes have been good, and you're, you're, they're helpful, but you want more personalized attention and a little bit more of a, a depth, 
then that's what the Downsizers Club is for. Okay, it doesn't mean you have to move tomorrow. If you're not, you're not committing to us that you're moving in five years. <laughs> um, it's just a, a little bit more in-depth class. We had some graduates. I was hoping that I would be able to celebrate Jan and Terry's graduation today from the Downsizers Club, but instead we get to you guys use you as a case study for getting two houses sold. <laughs> two houses, two, two contracts. 20th? 20th? Or the 20th. Not, not it's, the 20th. It's not, it's Tuesday. Sorry, the 20th is the Downsizers Club meeting. Thank you. All right, good. Uh, Bill is a graduate of the Downsizers Club. He didn't even know it. <laughs> Stan is a graduate of the Downsizers Club. He didn't even know it. We didn't have a Downsizers Club yet. So we're calling them graduates because they did this before we had a club. Anybody else in here a graduate yet? No? All right. Okay, so that's all I have for you guys. Did you learn something today? Yes. yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, I learned something today.